I'm Jasmine Moradi, and you're listening to the Queens of Tech podcast, a podcast series about raising the voice of workplace champions. 60 plus questions in around 30 minutes with women, non-binary and transgender influencers about their journey into STEM, science, technology, engineering and mathematics. I started the Queens of Tech podcast initiative in May 2022 because I would like to retain more women, non-binary and transgenders in the tech industry. Talent is out there, but our work environment needs to improve for all to feel safer, stay authentic and to be valued for our contributions. My vision is to raise the workplace ecosystem for all in the tech industry by killing the imposter syndrome, stopping bad behavior and increasing equity opportunities. Each podcast talk is built around 60 plus questions regarding upbringing, education, career path, DEIB, and future advice. My mission is to bridge the gap between schools and workplaces by getting to the heart of my guests' personal life and career journey to inspire other girls, women, non-binary, and transgenders to unleash their full potential to reach top leadership roles in the tech industry. My goal is to raise the voice of tech champions around the world and together with companies, investors, and politicians, raise the challenges and opportunities around equity, inclusive diversity, and belonging in our workplaces. Enough is enough. I would like to enforce companies to build a sustainable, inclusive culture, to retain diverse talent, so we keep the workplace power equity to continue building future diverse and inclusive products. Your voice matters. In this episode, I'm very excited to welcome my guest, tech queen Camila Yunasova, senior product manager at Ojo Canada and chairman of the board of Rice First. Hi, Camila. Hi, Jasmine. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for joining us from Austin, Texas in US today. How are you? I'm doing well this morning. It's a beautiful Monday in Austin. Thank you. I'm so honored to be here. Well, we are honored to have you. Now, let us dive into your journey into STEM. Hope you're ready for the quiz of take 60 plus questions. Ready. Let's warm up with a few fun facts about you. How would you describe your personality in three hashtags? This was a hard one, so I had to ask my friends. I'd say hashtag lover, hashtag hostess with the mostest. And hashtag product managers gone wild. How would you describe your life in three sentences? I'm an immigrant daughter from Uzbekistan, my eldest daughter of an Uyghur dad and a Russian mom. I like to spend my time building things, hosting, and spending quality time with people I love. And long term, I hope to combine all those things and help the world to live more connected. What kind of music stimulates and motivates you the most? Yeah, right now it's a rap song called Feel It by Young Thug that I've been blasting in my car to get hyped up in the mornings. What's your personal motto? Savor impermanence. What is your favorite book? The most life-changing book and the one that I gifted most in my life is called Awareness by Anthony DeMello. I think everyone should read it. What is your favorite podcast? 10% Happier by Dan Harris. It has taught me a lot and equipped me with a lot of lessons that I take with me. Mac or PC? Mac. Say something interesting about you that most people don't know. 
I grew up thinking I'd be a fashion designer. Nobody knows that, but I filled books with doodles and spent hours on a fashion website called Polyvore in the early 2000s, thinking that I'll grow up to be a fashion designer. What is a hidden talent? I haven't done it in six years, but I'm actually a really good painter. If you were going to write a book about your life, what would a title be? The Girl in the Red Dress. Great stuff, Camila. Now, let us think deeper. Our childhood has an effect on our adulthood. Our early experiences shape our belief about ourselves, others, and the world. Now, I want to discover your childhood. Where did you grow up? I grew up in the capital of Uzbekistan, Tashkent, and I moved to Philly when I was seven. So I spent the rest of my childhood in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. What was your dream job as a child? I always wanted to be a fashion designer growing up, but actually less practically, the inner child in me always wanted to be a princess. What was your favorite subject in school? English. What was your least favorite subject? Man, I was pretty bad at it. What is your earliest memory of technology and the arrival of the internet? So I grew up with the internet. We used a program called KidPix on our computers in elementary school. And that's where I learned to be savvy with computers and typing. Which were the three first technology gadgets you owned? So I started with a Sony Walkman. And then my first phone, I had a Motorola Razr in the light pink, which I loved. And after that, I think the next gadget was the iPod. So the very basic model before they became iPod Touch. Really cool. Who was your female non-binary or transgender role model growing up and why? It was definitely my mom. She taught me a lot about my values that I have right now and how to carry myself through the world. How do you think where you grew up and the school you went to and the generation you come from influence your education and career choice? Yeah, so growing up as an immigrant and going to a public urban high school, I think definitely made me into a hustler. Having my parents give up everything they had for me and my siblings to have a shot at quality of life. I knew that assignment as a kid and took it into adulthood. And I also had about three practical career paths that would actually make my parents proud doctor, lawyer, or businesswoman. So that definitely shaped my choice of career and eventually my major, etc. Now, I'm going to read two quotes. First one, how does the universe expect me to choose a career path at 16? I can't even choose what I want for dinner. Second, Abraham Lincoln said, I quote, the best way to predict your future is to create it. So Camilla, I want to know the choices behind your career path. Where and what did you study at university? I studied communications with a focus on messaging and marketing and had a minor in consumer psychology. Who and what influenced you to get into your choice of field? So I moved to the Bay Area my first year after college and everyone around me wanted to be a product manager. It was the hardest new career path that everyone was following. That's not the track that I was on, but I became curious about product management and had a lucky opportunity within my company to try it out. And the rest is history. What professional roles have you had before that led you to the current one? I started my professional career as a technology consultant at IBM, where I played a really small part on helping big name clients with massive transformation projects. And then that led me to product management where I work today. So you work at Ojo Canada, but you also started your own nonprofit, Rise First. 
What does the two of them do? I'll start with Ojo Canada. This is a company that it's a venture of Royal Bank of Canada. And what we're doing is we're building a resource for Canadians to save towards a home, buy, own, and sell confidently. My role is senior product manager at Ojo Canada. And then I also am a board member at Rice First Inc., which is a nonprofit that I started with a small group of people, including my mentor in life, Cindy Rantala. And we're on a mission to become a platform for first-generation students to be able to turn to and build skills and pave the way in, in the career space. What are your main responsibilities at each of these companies? So as a product manager at Ojo Labs, my primary responsibility is to drive the software team's progress by keeping our decisions grounded in the most important outcome metrics. There's a lot of other things, but the essence of what I do is I make several decisions, big and small, on a daily basis and take accountability over whether our team is successful or not towards our goals. On the other hand, as chairman of the board at Rise First, I help to guide the leadership team day-to-day steering, but also big picture steering of the organization. So I organize our board of advisors and our fiduciary board to regularly get together, make decisions, and steer the, the ship. How did you get the job at Ojo? I started about three years ago, landed the job after a months-long career search, and I think I just found the opportunity at a good time when they were hiring more junior PMs, and they decided to take a shot on me. And why did you start Rise First? I was first-gen growing up, experienced a lot of the realities of the systemic disadvantages that folks have growing up low-income, growing up without safety nets or, you know, mentors, people guiding them through their journeys. And so I part of what drives me to work on Rice First is that knowing that if we had this resource, that someone else in my position wouldn't have to kind of stumble in the dark, they would have a guide to get there. Very impressive and inspiring. What does a typical workday look like for you? Yeah, I start my days with an intentional no meeting block where I do my deep work, such as strategy setting, writing a project doc, working on a presentation. And the rest of my day after about 10 a.m. involves meetings, variety of formats and stakeholders. I'm the most social person on my team covering stakeholders and collaborators like legal and marketing. So the rest of my day is owned by other people. I love to quote, choose a job you love and you will never have to work a day in your life. So Camilla, what do you love about your roles? There's two things I really love. One, working with really smart people on complex problems. I think there's the magic that comes out of that kind of collaboration, jamming and creatively solving problems as a team. And then two, the gratification that comes when you see an engineer demo something that you all built together as a result of that collaboration. So that feeling of taking something from an idea to reality is something I really look for. And what is the best experience you've had in your role so far? Any examples? 
Not particularly one moment, but the best experiences are usually when I'm in a room with a whiteboard, virtually or in person, when my coworkers and I are collaborating and generating ideas, connecting dots, making that magic to tackle a challenge. And what is the biggest challenge you've encountered and how did you tackle that? Ambiguity is probably the biggest challenge I've ever tackled. I started this year off, 2023, with a brand new team in problem space. And I was told, hey, you're building an experience for Canadian homeowners and was expected to figure it out. And I'm not Canadian or a homeowner. So that was a really intimidating challenge. But I was really energized by the assignment and tackled it by just diving in and starting to take action and meeting real Canadian homeowners to learn more about their day-to-day and challenges and had this mindset of knowing that the worst thing that'll come out from us beginning to take one step after another is learning. There's no such thing as failing. All we're going to do is learn. And that's exactly what happened. We started running through the woods as a team and our direction started taking shape as we went. And we're still being corrected along the way, but still running. What do you wish everybody understood about your role? Despite being glamorized, product management can be extremely challenging and draining. So the level of accountability and sometimes emotional work that comes with working across so many people who care deeply often can be a lot. That's not for everyone, especially if meetings and collaborating with so many people sounds draining to you. What is the one common myth about your profession or field that you want to disapprove? The biggest myth is that a product manager makes all the decisions. I actually mostly facilitate the best decision making I feel like we can do as a team, but I'm never calling any consequential shots as an individual. So I'm always working in buy-in, data gathering, and supporting the best decision we can make, but often relying on more specialized and senior people to weigh in on those major decisions. What do you love about working in the tech industry? I like the tech industry because it feels like everyone's a magician. We have this unique power to improve lives. These really smart and talented teams are incentivized and pointed in the right direction. So obviously there's dark sides to this, which is when these really powerful teams inadvertently build insidious technology taking over our minds. But I like to think about it in a positive way that there's a lot of magic being made in so many right ways, for example, telehealth, making healthcare more accessible than ever, or the fact that my mom can FaceTime with her parents across the world on a daily basis. Oprah Winfrey said, I quote, think like a queen. A queen is not afraid to fail. Failure is not a stepping stone to greatness. So Camilla, what have by far been your biggest achievement in your career? So earlier this year, I gave a TED Talk on the power of being first, something I wish I had heard growing up first gen. It was a huge honor of an opportunity to be able to be nominated to share an idea with the world, but also to have something to say and then the platform to say it that hopefully inspires others. What would you say is the biggest factor that's helped you become successful? Any success habits? The biggest factor has definitely been my tribe, hands down. I wouldn't be who I am without the support of my family, friends, mentors, and coaches in various forms and times in my life. So knowing when and how to ask for help is the most underrated skill and habit. I know some people that don't have a mentor and my reply is always, you need to get one. 
Um, I try to help them on that journey and because I really believe that a mentor or coach could change your whole life. With success comes failure. What is your biggest failure in your career and what did you learn from it? This question is hard for me because I don't like to label things as failures. I like to see them as lessons. And one of the biggest lessons I learned is that it is unsustainable to work three jobs at a time. There was a year during the pandemic where I threw myself into work completely and ended up burning myself out and dropping many balls. And most importantly, the ball that I dropped was my health. And what I learned in that moment was that health is wealth and that it's a delicate balance of our many human needs that needs to be maintained very intentionally. What is inspiring and motivating you the most in your role and career right now? I'm working on a product that doesn't have a leading precedent in the Canadian homeowner market. And we have this unique possibility to set that precedent, which is really exciting to me. You mentioned the power of role models and mentors. So let us now jump into the influence of mentors or role models and champions and sponsors. Role models can consciously or subconsciously be a powerful force in our lives. In addition, champions can stand up and advocate for us and open up the world of possibilities. At the same time, sponsors match emerging talent with leaders and influential employees who can help us move ahead in our careers. So Camilla, do you yourself have a mentor, champion, or a sponsor today? I have a few people I'd consider my mentors and champions and sponsors, but there's one woman in particular that has helped me since college, Cindy Rantala, who is usually my first call when I'm navigating something in my career and sometimes other aspects of life. Who is your female role model you look up to in your field? Right now, it's our company CEO, Karen Starnes. I admire the grace and wisdom with which she takes on her leadership roles. And in being who she is, she's blazing that trail for other women. And I really admire that. History shows that it's been more common for men having mentors, champions, and sponsors in business than women. And based on what you said of the power of mentors and role models, tell us about the importance of having a mentor, champion, and sponsor during one's career. Extremely, extremely important. A role model makes it easier for you to believe in yourself. And that's the most powerful thing. To see someone who looks like you in a position you couldn't otherwise fathom yourself to ever be in. Let us now move into leadership. Adena Friedman, president and CEO of Nothic, said, I quote, Empowering those around you to be heard and valued makes a difference between a leader who simply instructs and one who inspires. And then Shirley Sandberg, ex-CEO of Facebook, said, I quote, Leadership is about making others better as a result of your presence and making sure that the impact lasts in your absence. Camilla, what does leadership mean to you? Leadership is an honor and a responsibility to me. Everyone's a leader in one way or another, whether it's overt or clear or not. But a leader is setting an example and shining a light for someone else. And so a parent is a leader, an eldest sibling, for example, even though we don't formally call those leadership roles. What do you consider a good versus a bad leader? A good leader knows that they have to earn trust and loyalty. And I think a bad leader is one of those that thinks those things are owed or takes them for granted. Who is your favorite female, non-binary or transgender tech leader and why? 
Teresa Torres is one of my favorite tech thought leaders. She's a product discovery evangelist and helps connect the dots between users and product innovation. How would you describe yourself as a leader? Humble, empathetic, and optimistic. And as a leader, what values are the most important to you? Like I said previously, I think trust and loyalty is earned. And so that in itself requires holding things like integrity and respect as values in high regard, and that a leader is working for their people and not vice versa. And as someone who personally challenges authority a lot, I view leadership through a skeptic's lens. So I think about what are those things that I would respond to personally, and that's really that servant leadership mentality. And what leadership lessons have you learned that have formed you into the leader you are today? I learned that a lot of people, no matter how confident they may seem, don't actually know what they're doing. And so that idea really empowered me because it reminded me that you don't need to be everything and know everything to be able to lead. What are your three strengths and three weaknesses? I'm really good at distilling complex ideas, connecting dots, and communicating those things. Uh, on the flip side, because of those strengths, my weaknesses, because I'm such a big idea person, I find it hard to flex the part of my brain that goes into really minute ideas and analysis. So I'm working on that and I'm working on being a better listener and leading with more conviction and confidence. Let us now jump into the hottest topic in business today, workplace culture, unlocking the power, diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging. Camila, what does DEIB mean to you personally? It means creating a safe space and an inclusive space for everyone and being aware of the challenges that people face, your different perspectives and identities. It's acknowledging, which I think some people don't, that everyone starts the metaphorical race from different starting lines and that systemic disadvantages are really real. What do you consider being three to five sides of good company culture if you were to join a company? Employees feel safe, they're empowered, and they feel a clear sense of what they're working on and why. As a woman, what has been the most significant barrier in your career and how have you overcome these challenges? I've definitely faced some sexism and feel like it's made me feel like I had to overcompensate for being young and female on predominantly male teams. So my female mentors and role models are the ones that have helped me work past that. What do you think is important for more women, non-binary and transgenders to join the tech industry today? I think this is true in all industries, not just tech, but the gravity and impact of representation is what drives some women to believe that they belong and that they can achieve their wildest fantasies. Dayun, how do you speak with your colleagues about DEIB challenges, for example, salary gaps and promotions? I consider myself extremely lucky to be able to say that we're really open at my company to talk about these things. It's an open dialogue that I feel like is heard and handled well by our leadership team, which I can tell is working intentionally to create a great company culture. And my company has won, because of that, many workplace awards for the great work that they're doing. Congratulations to that. There are many public and internal discussions about the barriers women, non-binary and transgenders face from reaching higher position in the tech industry. How do you feel has affected and is affecting you? And what is your advice on how to best unblock these roadblocks? 
and really lucky to work at a really safe and inclusive company. But I'm glad that this conversation is here and shines a light that there's still so much work to do. So I'm really appreciative of women like you who are not letting us forget it, especially for someone like me who doesn't feel it day to day. Thank you very much. And today, tech companies do spend a lot of marketing money to attract women, non-binary and transgenders. However, at the same time, they're finding it hard to retain them. Articles show that women are leaving the tech industry. Camilla, what is your best advice on strategies for how companies can work to build a stronger corporate culture that engages gender diversity and equity? I think hiring and promotion decisions are probably the most impactful places where that starts. What would you say are the few challenges of implementing DEIB culture in a workplace today? Yeah, this is just a theory, but I feel like Prox is hiring and making sure that when you hire those people, that they feel safe and valued. The latter seems like a complex science and art of leadership and people management. And I can really appreciate it when it's done well, but I also understand when companies struggle with it because it seems so complex. Why and how do you think companies would benefit from having not just women, non-binary and transgender leaders, but actually higher gender representation at sea level and boardrooms with actual mandate? So to my point earlier about the power of representation, because the sea level is such an extremely visible and powerful role, women should definitely be represented there. How much do you think the tech industry has changed regarding this subject since you joined? I definitely see improvements through various, you know, movements that have happened. But like I said before, definitely still room to improve. Looking back on your career, what one thing would you have changed in your working environment to break the bias? I think maybe talking about it more openly with other female coworkers or having those female groups earlier in my career would have helped. Looking forward, what will you do as a leader to improve the bias for the next generation of women, non-binary and transgenders in tech? I will try to model the same leadership that I've observed in female leaders that I aspire to. Handling those positions with grace and being a strong leader that earns trust and loyalty of people that they're lucky enough to lead. Let us move on to another hot topic in business today, which is work-life balance and mental health. Emila, without a doubt, do you have a busy lifestyle? How do you take care of yourself to maintain good mental health? I learned this the really hard way, but now I focus on intentionally filling my cup and tending to my human needs, you know, the mental, physical, spiritual, financial, and social health spaces all require intentional watering of those gardens. And so I try to make time and prioritize those things in addition to demands of work. And you've mentioned that you've experienced burnout. How did you tackle it? I've been through different stages of burnout throughout my career, but specifically the one that comes to mind was when I worked free job, like I mentioned during the pandemic and drove myself into a very dark and low place. I developed depression, found it hard to get out of bed in the mornings and had regular panic attacks, but learned a lot in that time. I'm so sorry to hear and I'm happy that you are well and thank you for sharing it with us. What is your advice on how companies can create a more mentally healthy workplace in the new now? 
Flexibility and empathy are so important. I have both of those things at my workplace right now, and I felt more balanced than I've ever been. Although I still face challenges, I am immensely grateful for my employer for supporting and being there for me. What motivates you every day to get out of bed? I find purpose in my work, in that flow that I get into at work, and in spending quality time with people I love. Now, let us wrap up with a few words of wisdom and a piece of advice for our listeners. Camila, what is the best piece of advice you've been given that has helped you during setbacks in your role and career? This was advice that my mentor, Cindy, gave to me early on, but work will never love you back. And that stuck with me. And then what is the worst advice you've ever been given and how did you tackle it? It wasn't direct, but in college, we had this rat race mentality of everyone trying to one-up each other. I went to a really competitive college and I got off that treadmill by leaving the bubble of people who were really intense about career specifically. So what I'd suggest to everyone is to leave your surrounding bubble every once in a while to gain perspective. Is there something you wish you would have known or a skill you wish you had when starting out in the tech industry? Storytelling and storytellers holding all the power. If you had the ability to go back in time to when you were just at the beginning of your career, what advice would you give to your younger self? Health is more important than work, period, full stop. You can't work without it, so cherish and prioritize that. And what advice would you give to young girls, women, non-binary and transgenders who want and trying to break into the STEM fields today, especially wanting to become next generation leaders? I would encourage them to look at the female leaders that they have access to today and believe and internalize that anything is possible. Last but not least, what is next for you in your role and career in tech? What are your career aspirations? I really love working with smart people, solving complex problems and making that magic, taking ideas into reality. So I hope someday to apply those skills toward building a more connected and healthy society. And I don't know exactly how it's going to take shape. I don't have a five-year plan, but that's my mission. I feel like every day I'm trying to take steps towards that. Amazing, Camilla. I so much looking forward to that. Thank you so much for being the guest on the Queens of Tech podcast, sharing a journey with, without a doubt, inspire change and reshape company culture for the next generation of women, non-binary and transgender leaders in tech. Thank you so much. I'm honored. Thank you for listening. If you have worked in the tech industry minimum three years and would like to share your journey, please nominate yourself or somebody you know to i at jasminemoradi.com. For more podcast episodes and to learn more about the Queens of Tech initiative and to support us, visit Queens of